Amen. If you've got elementary age kids or below, we would love for them to be a part of what we have planned with our Vine Kids time. There's Miss Jody. Mr. Patrick's going to take them right out there. Thank you, sweet girl. I appreciate it. Love it. Love it. So I was telling uh, Dawn, we're going to be a little bit quicker today, uh, mainly because um, I know that the Open Championship, British Open, is going on right now, and a lot of you guys want to get back, right? Um, so Kyle Carnes reminded me of a, of a great story. Well, it's great to me. It has nothing to do with anything except the fact that it's a great story. But um, we, okay, so Phil Mickelson and I, he was in the final group this today, going to finish up here way before, uh, way after we get out, so we're going to get out early. Um, he, uh, he and I have the same birthday, so we're a lot alike in a lot of ways. Um, and so we were, I went to Baltimore, New Jersey to watch, the, to see the Players' Championship. This was years ago. Uh, well, not that many years ago, but years enough ago. And uh, I had a buddy who was in New York, and I flew up there, and it was right by his kind of place where he was living. And so we stayed there, and we went there. And we went on a, on a practice round Wednesday and opening round Thursday. And a practice round, if you've ever been to a golf tournaments, kind of like a free-for-all. You know, players are practicing. Some of them are there. Some of them are. You kind of walk around with whoever you want to. You can talk to whoever you want to. You know, they may not talk back or whatever, but you can just, it's just more of a free-for-all, right? You can take cameras or phones and all that stuff. And then on Thursday, like, you got to get all golf serious, right? Which is not all that fun, but it's still pretty fun. But on Wednesday, we were sitting out there on the same uh, kind of second hole right on the tee box, and we're just watching the groups come through. We've been out there for hours, and we were sitting there, and, and Phil Mickelson and his caddy and somebody else he was with came through about, oh, I don't know, right here where about Tim and Julie are, and they, he hits, and he walks right in front of me, and, and you know, we've been sitting there for a while. We're just kind of goofing around, and I was like, hey, Phil, Phil, and he stops, right? He's way out here, and he stops where he is, and he turns, and he stares right at me, and we're in this big group of people now. And I didn't know I had anything to say. Like, I was just yelling his name because that's what we were doing. And he stops and he looks at me, and, and all I can get out is, we have the same birthday. <laughs> and literally, he was like, oh, my God, I'm so creeped out. And he just <laughs> kind of walked out, and everyone else was like, what? That was the best you could get out? Not like, hey, let's hang out tonight or whatever. It was like, hey, man, birthday twins or whatever. <laughs> so, again, completely it has nothing to do with anything except the fact that, uh, yeah, that's, I'm so good at being cool. And so, um, yeah, so if you're here for the first time, we, we are really, really glad you're here. Honored that you're here. Um, it's been kind of an up and down summer. I've been out of town a little bit. Burke was here last week, which is really great. But I had the distinct privilege last week of going and spending my week with about 500 high school kids, preaching about six times in five days, and getting to share the gospel with them, which was, was really great. Um, it really is a, a really incredible privilege to do that. And so I would preach in the evenings. I'd spend time with these kids all day, and, and I was sitting in a small group of kids, and I was reminded of a lot of things this week. It was, a, it was a really interesting week for us, but I was reminded of a lot of things. But I was sitting with this group of kids one morning, and we were just sort of talking about kind of what happened the week and what God was doing. And, and this one young girl in this group of like five or six kids, as we were sitting there, said, you know, I'm a believer. I gave my life to the Lord, oh, years ago, several years ago. Um, but it's, it's been a really, really hard year. And I said, okay, well, tell me about it. She said, well, um, this year my brother committed suicide. And three days before I came here, my parents told me they were getting a divorce. And she said, it's just, it's been a long time since, maybe a year since I could honestly tell you that I, I, I know what it feels like uh, to feel like God is with me. I just sort of sat there because I, I don't have anything to say, right, at that sort of moment because there really is nothing to say. 
And I was reminded of sort of those moments in our life where we feel like I'm just sort of out here, right? Uh, I'm just sort of out here. We had, a, we had a week a little bit like that as well. Meredith's dear, dearest friend in the entire world, and the girl that she had grown up with her whole life and her best friend forever, uh, her little four-year-old girl who is a special needs child suffered a really tragic accident. So Meredith drove to Lubbock and spent time with them and, and sat there as they made the decision to remove this amazing, sweet little girl from life support. And we sort of had to walk with them. And I say we very liberally because, of course, I was out of town. But we had to walk with her as she let go of her daughter, who they loved and who they had named after her own, her own special needs sister. She had named her daughter after her own special needs sister who had died several years before um, as sort of an honor to her. And then this tragic like, accident that you just want to go, God, I just don't understand. Like, why are these things? And I couple that, and I couple the fact with listening to these girls and just some things that are happening in my own heart. And I'm just, I'm at that place, or I'm in this place where, where I think a lot of us find ourselves sometimes where we believe with all of our heart that God is absolutely real. And there's, there's not a shadow of a doubt there, but it feels a little bit like standing in the middle of a desert. And that's what this young girl was saying. She was saying, it just feels like I'm standing out here, and, and I, I'm just longing and wondering, and I'm trying not to doubt. And as I watched these things sort of unfold, I was reminded there are times in our life where we maybe it's not these big tragic moments. Maybe it's just the fact that it's just been a season in your life where it's just moving forward, right? It just seems like life is taking a step and a step and a step, and your spiritual life is passionless, tepid, just sort of existing, going through the motions. Maybe you feel like that's the definition of your life right now. Like you're just existing from one thing to another. And while nothing is colossally wrong, it's just not how you dreamed you would be living spiritually. We're going to look at Psalm 63 this morning. It's, it's one of my favorite little pictures because it's a really great reminder um, that in the middle of life's deserts, in the middle of these sort of moments of just existing, that there are some, some things that we can do to remind ourselves of God's incredible and extravagant love and grace. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to open to Psalm 63, and we'll be, be kind of quick today just because this is a, it's, a, it's not a complicated uh, message. It's not even all that difficult. It's just a great, for me at least, it's just a great, great reminder of who God is, his incredible nature, and who we are called to be. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and open to Psalm 63. Um, we'll be in the first three verses only. And, um, and then let's pray, and then we'll, we'll kind of go through them together. Lord, I do thank you that you are such a good God. Um, and I thank you that you never change or fail or move, Lord, even when life seems to do those things to us, even when um, life shifts, even when life feels stagnant, or just even when life just is going on. You're just, you're just good. You're never changing. So, Lord, this morning what I ask in my own heart and what I ask for us is that we would be reminded Um, of that by you, that you would remind us of your consistency, of your goodness, that you are always at work. Take a moment, just in your own heart, just right where you sit, and just, just ask the Lord, just ask the Lord to still your heart and to remind you, whatever that means. God, still my heart and remind me, whatever he needs to remind you of this morning. Take a moment and pray for someone beside you.
like we do each week, be in the habit of praying for other people. Maybe you've never seen them before. Maybe this is your very first time with us. Just be in the habit of praying for other people. Just pray that God would move in them. Something simple. Lord, we are so grateful for your faithfulness. Lord, your faithfulness reflected in Jesus Christ. God, the joy that you bring, um, even in the middle of life's deserts, complications, even in the middle of life's just movements, God, we pray that you would open our hearts to your steadfast love this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So just a real quick kind of uh, background on Psalm 63. It's actually a really nuanced and complicated story where Psalm 63 is. And so it's not really the point this morning, but just to, to get you to get an understanding of where David is. This is actually a Psalm of David. And David is, ha- is fleeing for his life. All right, He has actually left Jerusalem. He has left the palace where he is king, and he is running into the wilderness. And the, the Middle Eastern wilderness is not just like forests and trees, right? It's, it's deserts and caves and things like that. And he is, he is fleeing for his life because his third son, Absalom, has decided to start a coup, essentially. And they have, have raised up a bunch of support, and he actually has a ton of support, and he has marched into the city, and he is attempting to overthrow his dad to become king. And so dad is recognized, David has recognized all the power that Absalom has, and he has taken off into the wilderness. Well, eventually that threat gets quelched, but at the moment, David is afraid for his life, and he is on the run. The king of Israel, living in the desert, out of the palace, out of the way, his own son trying to have him killed, right? So life, to say the least, is fearful and complicated um, for David. And this is what the first three verses say, and they're real simple, and we'll just kind of work through them. It says, God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. So one more time. God, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirst for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. So the opener to this psalm, and the rest of the psalm actually goes on to echo these things a little bit, and then it gets to the end and sort of makes a couple of declarations saying, I know that you will overthrow my enemies. I know that you will protect me. But the first little section is really what I want to pay attention to because it just sort of fits with where I've been and where I think we tend to find ourselves spiritually, right? So you got to imagine the imagery because the imagery is really important here. David is basically painting a picture of not just a metaphor, right? He's not just metaphorically saying, I'm out actually in the wilderness. David has physically left Jerusalem and he is wandering around the deserts and the caves outside of Jerusalem, afraid for his very life. The people are trying to come and kill him. And so he's not just simply making a a metaphor, he's actually making a a kind of a a proclamation about his life and what his life is actually like. And he's saying, oh God, my God, earnestly I seek you. Like in a dry and weary land where there is no water, my body and my soul, they long for you. 
And this imagery literally is if you live in the desert without water, you will die. There is no option, right? We all know that. We know that the body can survive what? Like just four or five days, maybe six without water until you die. Like that's it. You can't function without it. And when you get the Middle Eastern heat on you and there's no escape from the sun and there is no water in this place, like your body begins to slowly die. And it begins with that sort of physical reaction of your, your lips or your tongue being chapped and cracked and skin being burned. And then you slowly begin to dehydrate to death to where you hallucinate and hallucinate and hallucinate until you can't function anymore and your body just quits on you after all your muscles have cramped up and you die of thirst, essentially. And what David starts out and saying is he's saying, God, there is a longing in my soul for you that is like a dying body longing for water. And I don't think he's saying anything other than something that's incredibly powerful, which is I know that I can't survive in this place without water. And I'm a king. I'm used to snapping my fingers and people show up with jars or jugs of water, anything that I need. And I am out here and I am literally at a place where I feel like I might be dying of thirst. And my soul My body and my soul long for you so desperately that it's like I'm dying for thirst without you. Now, it's been a long time in my life, if ever, honestly, that my heart, my soul has longed for Jesus that much. I mean, if you think about the sort of imagery that he's using, like, God, I cannot, I can't survive or breathe or live without you. My soul longs for you like my dying body longs for water, right? I've never really been at a place where I feel like that my soul has longed for Jesus that much, has longed for God that much, to where I physically feel like I can't continue, or my body is falling apart, but I desperately need you. There's this longing in David's voice that says, look, I am wandering, And I need you, and my soul is crying out to you. And he makes that declaration up front by saying, Oh God, you are my God. In other words, there is no substitute for you. That even in the middle of this desert, right, you are my God. Nothing else will satisfy me. My life, maybe in yours, I try and substitute a lot of things in those moments, those moments of of desperation, or those, even those moments of just sort of passionless existence, which is where a lot of us spend a lot of our time, we tend to substitute things, right? We know there's an emptiness in us. We know that there's a restlessness in us. We know there's a lack of peace in us. And so we attempt to substitute things, substitute whether it's material things or relationships or just avoidance altogether or downplaying situations or pretending like they're not happening or just getting up and moving on and telling ourselves that if I can just push through this, right, we attempt to substitute whatever it is for our spiritual dying of thirst. And we wonder why we just perpetuate our existence because we're attempting to substitute something in our life that can only satisfy our soul in no way that Jesus can, right? Jesus is the only satisfier. And we attempt to put substitutes in there. And what David is saying is he's saying, there's a longing deep in my heart, and I know, oh God, you are my God, that it cannot be satisfied by anything else. My dying of thirst physically cannot be satisfied by anything else. 
If I'm dying of thirst, I cannot expect to get well by drinking sand. If I'm dying of thirst, I cannot expect to get well by finding something to eat. In our lives, in our existence, in our spiritual dryness, in our desert places, we think that somehow we can survive by just shoving some more church in or shoving some more relationship in or shoving happy faces and smiley things in. It's like being in the desert and trying to drink sand. There is no substitute. The deepest desire of my life, honestly, is that my soul would cry out for Jesus like this. Like, Jesus, I can't breathe, exist, live without you. Like, even in the desert, even where I am, I long for you that deeply. When is the last time you've honestly longed for the Lord? I mean, deeply longed for Jesus. Like that kind of desperation, like I just, not because things are awful, just because I want Jesus that much. Like I want to know him that well. David has this deep longing. In the middle of that deep longing, he it kind of pushes him to a place of remembrance, right? He says, I have seen you in your sanctuary. Verse two, I've seen you in your sanctuary. I have beheld your power and your glory. David had seen God at his absolute most incredible. David had seen God in all of his glory. David's very life actually was a testimony to God's greatness and God's move. I mean, think about how David even became king in the first place, right? I mean, remember Samuel had gone out to anoint the new king. God had said, go anoint the king, go to Jesse's house. And so he fills this horn with oil and he goes to Jesse and he says, God has told me that one of your sons is going to be king. And Jesse parades these guys, these beautiful looking dudes in front of him and none of them are right. And Samuel goes, is there anybody else? Well, Jesse goes, well, yeah, but I mean, he's just the youngest and he's out there tending sheep, right? Remember the story? And Samuel looks at him and says, well, we're not going to sit down until you bring him back. And as soon as David comes back, God speaks directly to Samuel's heart and just says, that's him. Like, anoint him. And 2 Samuel tells us that at that moment, all of God's power was manifested in David. Like, it became a part of him. David's whole life was a manifestation of God's power and glory, his, de- his defeat of the Philistine. You can just go down the road of all the things that God had done. But as you're wandering around the desert, as you're fleeing from your life because your son is trying to kill you, and you were once a king in this great palace, and now you're hiding in caves, feeling like you're going to die physically, and wondering where God is spiritually, all of a sudden our memories get really short. I mean, it happens to me all the time. I have the shortest memory in human history when it comes to the things about God in my life, right? As soon as life takes a corner, takes a turn, takes a whatever, I'm like, oh my gosh, where are you? And I fall apart. But because I can't remember all the ways that God has been so incredibly faithful. So frustrated with where I'm not or what's not happening that I fail to see what God has done for 39 times four years in my life, right? 39 four times, turn that, not times one. <laughs> Failed to see it, right? Failed to see it, fail to see it, fail to see it, fail to see it. Because I'm wandering in the desert, or I'm dry, or I'm restless, or I'm just 
empty, right? That's not all the time, but it's that, that short memory, right? And what David is doing here is he's saying, listen, God, I remember your power and your glory. I have seen you in your sanctuary. And I find that really, really important because if I stop and I breathe, right, and I let my soul really just say, Jesus, I I long for you. And I look back at where God has brought me from and where I would be without him in my life. It literally is frightening. The decisions I was making at 19, the choices I was making at 19, and what God did in my life and how he has moved and guided and kept his promises till now. And David's remembering is really important. And I think it's really important for you and I to just to stop and go, okay, every part of me right now wants to just go why and where and how come. But if we stop and we remember that we've seen God in his glory, we've seen God in his sanctuary, that we've seen God in his, his power, we've held it, we've seen it, we've experienced it, right? It's like what that young lady was saying to me this week. She said, I'm a believer and I gave my life to Christ and I don't doubt that he's there but it's been a really hard year. There's just something that if we can remember, if we can long and we can remember. And so as she sat there and we were talking and she says, how do I get past this? I have no idea, right? I mean, literally, I have zero answers for anything. And I just said, I don't know, right? I don't know. But as I thought about it this weekend and as I thought about it yesterday, I was thinking that somehow this longing and this remembering in Psalm 63, because it's kind of, I knew where I wanted to go this weekend, but somehow this longing and this remembering form together to push us towards a declaration, right? So when I begin to long for Jesus and I can remember what he's done for me, even though I'm standing in the desert, I'm standing in a, in a sort of a, just a, a lackluster place, it can push me towards a declaration that's really powerful. And listen to the one that David makes. He says, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. And I find this remarkable, right? Because right now it doesn't feel like God's love is better than life to David, right? Because God had promised that he would sit on the throne and that he was safe and now he's running from Jerusalem and he's fleeing from his own son and he's in the desert and he feels like he's going to die and there's no water. His body longs for the Lord, but the Lord seems to be gone. I mean, this seems to be the last place that we would say, God, because your love is better than life. But David doesn't just start there, right? He starts with this, this longing and this remembering and I think they push him. And I'm speculating on some level, but I think it pushes him because it pushes me to a declaration. Say, God, I long for you. Like I do. I want to know you more and I want my soul to thirst for you. And I remember what you've done. I remember the way that you have protected me in my most difficult times. I remember in my most, my most vulnerable and open times, looking back how you've wrapped your arms around me. I remember how you stood by me through tragic moments, losses of people that I love, loneliness. God, I remember how you made yourself known to me at the darkest times in my life. And it wasn't always when they're happening, but I look back and I can see your presence all the time. And I long for you. And because I've seen you, and because I want my heart to chase after you, I'm going to make a declaration that I know to be true, even though, even though at this time, 
it feels like I'm lost in the desert. And his declaration is really simple. He says that God, because your love is better than life, both the good and the bad, it's better than life, my lips will praise you. And I probably recited that this week about a hundred times in my heart and my head as I, I listen to our sweet friends try and wrestle with the loss of their amazing daughter and what God was doing. And they're so faithful and they love the Lord so much. And they made a decision early and they were able to donate her organs. And their concept has been that God was going to be able to save or give eight children life because of Jennifer, because of her little body. And their, their, their kind of heartbeat all along has just been, I don't understand, and I'm heartbroken, but you're good. And I think about what pushes us to make a declaration like that, right? Like, what pushes us to be able to say, in the good and in the bad, there is no substitute for you, right? This longing and this remembering push us together to make a declaration that isn't based necessarily on what we can feel right now, but it's based on the truth of who God is and what we've seen, right? And this declaration that David makes is just that. It's not a declaration because he's seen God's full presence. He hasn't. He's living in the middle of the wilderness. He's making a declaration based on what he longs for and what God has shown him in the past. And so he says, God, your love is better than life. So it doesn't have to be tragedy. It doesn't have to be difficulty. Maybe your week has been great. Maybe your past weeks have been great. Maybe there's just a season in your life where it's like, you know what, it's been a really long time since I've spent any time in here, since I've spent any real time in prayer, since I've spent any real time with the Lord, that it feels a lot like I'm just sort of motoring through the motions of my spiritual life, and life isn't good or bad, it just exists. Right? I want my heart to long for Jesus. I want my heart to remember the way that he has been so faithful. And I want it to bring about a declaration in me that just says, God, in the middle of whatever this is, like, your love is better than it. Your love is better than the restlessness, better than the lack of peace, better than all the things I've built up around me from a material standpoint that sort of serve as my castle better than all the safety nets I've built in my life, better than all the bad things that have happened, better than all the school, all the studying, all the struggle. Your love is better than all that. And because of that, David says, my lips, my parched and cracked and broken lips that don't want to say anything because they have been literally burning in the sun will glorify you. And David is praising God with these parched and dry and broken lips. And I love it. And I love it. So this morning, wherever you are, um, whatever that is, middle, great, not so great, I don't know. Let this be a reminder to you that when longing and, and, and remembering come together, they can produce in us a declaration of God's promise that outweighs everything that this life throws at us, presents to us, because it's all rooted in this deep, extravagant, incredible nature of God's love, a love that drove him to send his son to the cross, 
That's how, how much he loved us, to demonstrate that through Jesus' life and death and resurrection. And we need to look no further than that of God's evidence for how his love is better than everything this world has to offer. We're going to close our time in worship this morning by really just kind of going, God, there is no substitute for you, right? There is nothing. And, and maybe you've crammed a lot of things into those holes in your life. There is no substitute. God's love is better than the good and the bad. God's love is better than the material or the longings for things. Ask God to exchange your longings for a longing for him, to remember where he's brought you from, or even just his faithfulness, to look back for a moment on your life and think about where you would have been and fuse those two things together. And then I encourage you just to commit some of this stuff to memory because God has brought it up in my heart over and over and over again. God, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. Let's pray together. God, because your love is better than life. God, because your love is better than life. My lips, my parched and dry and weary lips, God, they will glorify you. God, you are faithful. You are faithful at times in our life where we are wandering in deserts. You are faithful at times in our life where we just feel here. And of course, God, you're faithful in times in our life where it feels like everything is going just perfect. Your love is better than all of that, better than the best of the best and the worst of the worst. And so, God, we come here this morning in all different places. But we say the same thing, which is, oh, God, you are my God. There is no substitute for you. My soul longs for you like a dry and weary soul where there's no water. God, my soul longs for you. And we've beheld your power and your glory. We have seen you in your sanctuary. God, we will remember how you have been so faithful. And those two things, my deep longing for you, Jesus, my remembering of how faithful you've been will push me to a place of declaration where I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, God, that your love is better than life. I can trust it. I've seen it. And so, Lord, just fill us with unexplainable joy. Unexplainable joy. Fill our peaceless voids with your presence. Fill our mediocrity with your greatness. Fill our passionless with your passion. God, fill our tepid with your incredible beauty. God, we ask.